welcome to the Real Estate Raw Show, hosted by Joe Mendoza. Have you ever made something up? Maybe we call it an excuse, or maybe we call it a hallucination. You had this thing made up in your head, why you're not successful. Well, today, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a lot to talk about. Mr. John Schuller, who's going to be on a show, talks about him and ADHD. I also mentioned a little bit about my history with being an asthmatic. Now, this is incredible. Take a look and let's find out for yourself what's going on and what's holding you back from becoming ultra successful. Hi, guys. Joe Mendoza here in sunny San Diego. Welcome to my show. Thanks so much for subscribing, watching and sharing the good word. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we have John Scholler from West Virginia in the house, all right? He's flipped over 120 homes. He mentioned even being a college dropout, having massive success, so we're gonna get into that. Multiple business owner, he has a gym, he has a YouTube channel. Welcome to the show, John, how are you? Great, thank you so much for having me on. I've been looking forward to this one. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. So let's get into John before real estate, before being a massive business owner. Talk about John's story from the beginning. So uh, I guess I started off just like your, your typical person. I guess I'm still your typical person now. I'm just an entrepreneur along with it. But, uh, you know, I grew up in a rural area um, on a farm. And uh, I tried doing the school thing. I, I realized probably by the age of, I don't know, 12 or 13, you know, when I was diagnosed with ADHD, uh, I, I couldn't sit still. And I, it wasn't so much that I probably do have ADHD. I probably do. I don't want to deny that. But uh, I wasn't interested. I wasn't interested in trigonometry and I wasn't interested in algebra and I wasn't interested in Spanish three. Those things didn't interest me. Uh, so I, I had to figure out for myself that I wanted to be a business owner and that stuff's not taught to you in school, uh, finances and business. So I did, I, I still didn't know, you know, I just, I just knew I did, I wasn't interested in those things. And so I, I misbehave a little bit here and there, nothing bad, but I was just all over the place, a talker, a cl class clown, you know, in school suspension, things like that. Um, and then uh, at age 18, 19, I finished high school, barely. <laughs> they, they allowed me to graduate. I think I finished with a 2.6 GPA. Uh, wasn't great. I, it wasn't because I was necessarily stupid. I just didn't apply myself. I was too busy chasing girls or, or, or make, trying to make people laugh. But anyway, I got out of high school and I knew that all my friends were going off to college and I felt left out. I felt like, well, if they're all doing that, what am I going to do with my life? So I followed that natural, uh, trail, if you will. And I went off to college too. I went to community college. I applied to some other colleges that they didn't love that 2.6 GPA. So I went off to a community college to take business classes. And uh, I was working for another company at the time. It was a move. It was type like of a moving company. Uh, they weren't quite a moving company. Then they were more like a delivery company for your big box stores like Best Buy, uh, Sears, Lowe's, things like that. They would get contracts and deliver for them. And I was essentially running that business for them. Uh, I was their manager. And I was going to business school at the same time. Well, I'll fast forward through all this and how I got started in my first you know, entrepreneurship endeavor. Uh, I had been working for them for about six to eight months and they're on their third month of not paying me. And I'm on my probably fourth month of uh, business school. 
well, I'm doing great in business school. I'm getting 105, 108. I'm getting extra credit on all my business stuff. But in psychology, I'm getting 40s and 55s and 60s on my test. Again, I'm back in the school thing and it's not working for me unless I enjoy it, like the business classes. So they haven't paid me for three months and I pull up to one of the stores and the store owner says, John, we're probably going to be cutting that company loose soon, but we love you and love what you do. If you go out and buy your own truck by this weekend, and I think it was like a Wednesday, we'll give you the contract. You can have the whole contract. And I knew what that contract could make. And I said, you know what? They haven't paid me in three months. They're arguing paying me. Not something I normally would do, but they're going to lose the contract anyway. So I borrowed uh, about five grand from a friend of mine who had some inheritance from his grandmother and uh, ran up to Pennsylvania, which is about six, seven hours from where I lived. Grabbed the first truck I could find on Auto Trader that I could afford. And I was at that back door picking up my first load of mattresses. It was a mattress store and off to delivering them. And on my way out to deliver them, the company that didn't pay me was pulling in late. They were 30 minutes late and all I could do was wave at them. And the rest was history with that company. I grew that into a high six figure moving company over eight or nine years. Nice. Nice. That's exciting, John. Now, if you don't mind, let's take it back to the beginning. Uh, what age were you diagnosed or you mentioned something about ADHD? Like who said it? Did you go to a doctor? What, what was the story behind that? I think my parents said it around maybe three or four, but the doc, I think the doctor was probably, I think that if I had to remember, you know, it's so long ago now, which sucks to say, but um, I guess I was probably taking Ritalin in school by the age of 10. So you were officially diagnosed and you were also medicated. Yes, I was, I had to go to the lunch, after lunch every day, I had to go to the nurse's office and take my, uh, my I think it was a half a pill of, it was called Ritalin then. I don't know if that's still a thing today. Uh, I think it might be Adderall or something today. But anyway, I took Ritalin then, and that's what I was. I, I was on that for years. I don't even remember when I stopped taking it. Maybe, maybe towards the later years of high school. Now I point this out because I noticed that with a lot of entrepreneurs, that sometimes their so-called weakness or or challenge makes becomes their strength. You know, I could even share my example of being asthmatic. I've been a lifelong asthmatic and I still take inhalers today, but that makes me push harder. You know, I wrestled in high school, played some football, basketball, you know, ran a marathon and multi half marathons. So that deficit could be your strength, which makes you who you are today. So I commend you for like, making that successful business work and other businesses. Let's jump into some of the other businesses and also your flipping business. Now, how did you become successful uh, doing over a hundred flips? What was kind of your key ingredient? So I say the key ingredient was my team. Uh, I have two excellent partners, uh, Steve and Andrew, and uh, there's a whole story behind that, but just, uh, I, and so I'm not sitting here for an hour or two hours, uh, we, uh, I found them when we, my, we moved to West Virginia for my wife to go to nurse anesthesia school. She got accepted here and I knew I wanted to get into real estate. I'd been looking for a while, but we were doing some travel nursing before then. And we were in Maui, uh, California, out where you're at. We were in Palo Alto, Pacifica, um, and one more place, uh, um, oh, uh, Los Angeles. 
So we were in those three places and the market there is, a, uh, I had some money, but I didn't, I used to joke I had money, but I didn't have uh, California and Maui money so, <laughs> to, to get started. So anyway, when she got accepted to nurse anesthesia school here, I started looking up who was doing what here. And I met with several people, but I clicked right away with Stephen Andrew and that story, that's a whole podcast for itself. But fast forward four years now, um, they now trust me to be their CEO uh, of the company. We're, we're partners and we have flipped over 150 homes together in the last four years. And our success from that comes from our strengths in, that we have in each other and that we can lean on. How many businesses do you have right now? I want to, it's either eight or nine. And I know I should know the number and I don't, I don't, <laughs> I, I know that sounds dumb, but I, I backed out of one earlier this year and I'm getting ready to exit another. I'm actually exiting the, the, the CrossFit gym. Uh, I've owned that for almost three years now. I'll be exiting that in January. We're working on the documents now. And for nothing else other than I'm just reorganizing and getting my time back. Uh, I've stretched myself too thin for too long. Um, money, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to say that money is no longer the driving force. And now I have a little girl in my life that it, we're, we're, I'm foster parent. I was a foster parent, soon to be adoptive parent. And I'm noticing how much time that takes or should take from you. Uh, and so I'm trying to re, uh, reorganize my time. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's nice to have your priorities and keep it in line. You know, that I, I believe family first, of course. Now, let me ask you something about the eight or to nine businesses that you have. Were you minority or majority business owner on those? I don't think that there was any. The CrossFit gym, I was, I was at 33% for a little while. I'm now at 50%. Uh, I want to say all of them. Oh, well, the, the flipping company, I'm 33% with Steve and Andrew. I would say I'm bet no less than 33% on any business that I'm in and most of them above 50. Got it. Got it. Now of all those businesses, you know, um, what has been the average length of time that you've owned them? Okay. Uh, probably actually all within the last four years because I've had several businesses before then. So I had the moving company, I had a company where I bought and sold motorcycles. I had a company where I used to buy truckloads full of mattresses and put them at warehouses and sell them on the, the, with the little sign on the side of the road and say, queen size mattress, $199. I did all that before we started travel nursing. So I sold all of that so we could travel nurse. And I thought I, thought I uh, was retired. And, uh, and I financially maybe, but mentally, that's another game to just up and retire. Especially, I was only like 28 or 29. That was a... That was a uh, pipe dream. I, I went crazy real fast. So we got back into it. I would say that all of them are no older than four years old now. Got it. So I want to get into this a little bit deeper because here's kind of what I see. I've been in business a long time, almost 30 years, primarily on the broker side and some of it in the investment side. And well, here's what I've noticed. If you're a realtor, eventually one day you want to own the company. But when you figure out owning the company, being the broker owner, you find out it's not as profitable. And so what you do, you start adding lending, then escrow, then whatever you can, property management, et cetera, et cetera, because you find out that brokerage is the least profitable and you're going broke. Now, the flippers, you know, they get into wholesaling, then they start doing the rehabbing, then they go hands on and find out like, oh my God, my ROI is not there anymore. And then maybe I should buy multi-units. Maybe I should get into developing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, this chaos between being a realtor and being a flipper. 
So you have different diversity of businesses. What's your reasoning by having some diversification? Well, I just believe diversification is key in almost anything, but especially when it comes to business and investing. So whether we're talking about your, your stock portfolio, you know, if, you, if you're going to have your entire stock portfolio on one individual stock, I will call you crazy. And you, you, you can get mad at me if you want to, but I'm going to call you crazy. Now, if it's one fund, if it's one index fund, I'm fine with that, depending on the index fund. But, you know, Tesla, I, I'm a huge Tesla fan. But there is no way I would have more than maybe 10 or 15 percent of my portfolio in such a company because it's just it's, it's so risky right now. It's still a, it's still an early company. And that's just one example. But same thing with your businesses. I mean, if you're all in on real estate, that's fine. But you should still be diversified within the real estate. So let's say you don't want to do stocks or you don't want to do a CrossFit gym. You just want to do real estate. That's fine. But maybe you should if you're just doing flipping you need to have a couple other strategies in case that goes south. So if the market turns, if your, your individual micro market turns, what can you do with these houses? How will you get your investors their money back? How will you continue to live and what's your livelihood look, look like? If you can't answer those questions, you're over leveraged. And so that's, you just always need to have an answer to those what ifs. You know, what's it plan for the plan for the best expect or plan for the worst and expect the best or something like that. That's exactly right. I love it, John. And I couldn't agree with you more, you know, because my first run, my major run in real estate, I went all in. You know, I wasn't very diversified and we all know what happened in 2008, 2009. You know, I had all my eggs in one basket and I couldn't control the basket. I wasn't holding the basket. And when the banks started, you know, making these loan modifications and taking back property, I couldn't control the basket. So I totally agree with you by diversifying because like you said, if that one industry or one business goes south, you're screwed, you know? And so like, here we are in COVID, you know, how are you adapting with COVID and your businesses? Well, COVID's tricky. So COVID, when it first hit, we were all in shock. I mean, we're still kind of in shock. The numbers are the numbers are astronomical and it's sad. People are losing. First of all, people are losing their lives, right? So that's that's sad. But we're going to talk about just from the business aspect, which is a first world problem we can talk about, which is fine. And we're going to talk about just by the business side. When it first hit, the the gym had to shut down, right? So we had to shut the gym down. Um, luckily, that that qualified for a little bit of PP money to keep it floating because. Um, that wasn't that didn't necessarily hold, I, I got more of a dividend from that than of a salary. But my main partner, that's how that's his livelihood. And so, you know, that, that was scary for a minute. You know, we got 60, 70 members. They all need a place to go, uh, you know, and, and we got to figure out how to keep them. Right. Because they'll get bored and they'll go off to somewhere else. And we don't want to be the last gym to shut down, but we don't want to be the first either. You, you don't want to be the first open. Don't want to be the last open because you, you're constantly balancing business, your business, and what the outside world thinks of what you should do with your business, right? And, and some of that's necessary. So we had to deal with that. And then on the flipping, well, we haven't had any problems there because the market caught on fire. You know, it was a little bit hit or miss there for about a month or two, but then the interest rates hit 2% and everybody's buying houses and all of our inventory is selling. Like we've sold last seven of our last eight houses before ever putting on them the market. So my, my uh, worry with COVID is that we haven't seen the worst of the market. That's my worry. I'm, 
People can say, look, it's over. It'll never fit. That's fine. This is my opinion. I think that we have pumped this market up and I think we have essentially put it on stilts on crutches, whatever you want to call it over the last eight to nine months, which is fine. It's great because it's helped out a lot of businesses and people, but sometimes you're delaying the inevitable and I'm really worried we've created a bubble. I'm really scared of that. And I don't know what your opinion on it is, uh, but all of my businesses and if I'm CEO and CFO of that business, it's prepped in an emergency emergency fund for such a case. John, I love that. So here's my opinion. I totally agree with you. So like, you know, when you're playing this real estate game audience, depends who you are, okay? Because you could be in a really good position or you might be in a scary position or you might be in a great position to capitalize. So audience, depends who's listening. Here's what I'm going to address, okay? From the residential side, interest rates are really low. Great news. Supply and demand. Supply is kind of low. Demand is still high. Okay, that's residential. Commercial, here's what people aren't talking about so much. Okay, so you just mentioned your gym. Well, a lot of them are sitting empty. How about restaurants? They're operating at 30 to 50% capacity. Well, eventually, who's going to pay that lease? Eventually, who's going to pay the bank that owns the building? So, I'm seeing there might be a shadow inventory coming up very, very soon, a big correction. So like whoever's listening, you better play your cards right. And what you just said, John, about having like emergency funds or reserves, that's the most important right now. So I totally agree with you that people should plan for the worst, hope for the best. And if they play their cards right, they're going to be okay. You know, so I mean, from the 2008 story that I mentioned, you know, I was overly optimistic. I had plenty of reserves. I didn't know it was going to go so long. I thought it was going to last a few months. It lasted a few years. Okay. So John, I totally agree with you. Now we're, we're, we're kind of sharing some, a little bit of doomsday. <laughs> how, about, how, about, how about sharing some hope for the people that like, okay, how do I pivot? How do I adapt to this changing market? What, okay, we have emergency reserves. What else could they do to like either prepare or capitalize on what's coming? So the best way is preparation, right? So I would be, I would be preparing myself in almost any way. So your emergency funds, absolutely. You should have those anyway, but maybe now they need to be a little bit bigger. So if you had a three month emergency fund, maybe four or five, six months, you know, we carry a six month and maybe people think that's crazy and that's working capital that could be making money. That's fine. I want to be able to pay every one of my employees for however long I need to, to get them, get them back. Because I don't know where you're at, but where I'm at, it's very hard to find people. And so if I can hold on to them for three, six months in a downturn or in a bad uh, uh, situation, I want to hold on to them. So that's an emergency fund. And of course, pay our bills. But then outside of that, you know, start, use this as a wake up call. When you start going to buy houses, when you look at that house, so we do this on every house that we buy. So we own rentals too, and we own rent-to-owns, and I have some personal rentals. But when, we, when you go to look at a house, have about four or five different exit strategies for that house. Can I wholesale it? Can I flip it? Can I rent it if it doesn't flip? Are my, do my numbers work in such a manner that I have at least two exit strategies? And that's what you should always be trying to figure out. Because the last thing you want to be doing, like I'm fortunate, we, we only work with private money. 
So all of our investors are private investors. We have about we have about eight million dollars that we have access to. We got four million working at any given time, and none of that is bank or hard money. So we have some leniency there. Now we've never missed a payment, but if we had to because of the rapport we've built with our investors. We could be like, hey, we can't pay you in March. I don't see a scenario in which we would ever do that, but we could do that. But if you're working with hard money, that's not a, that's not a game you get to play. You, they don't let you miss March and April. They're, then your house is theirs. So you have to have an exit strategy of, oh, what happens if this house doesn't sell in the three months I plan to sell it for? Can I get that hard money refinanced out? And if the answer is no to that, you're playing with fire. You're absolutely playing with fire, and that's fine. People get successful playing with fire, but I'm not a fan, okay? I, if I play with fire, I'm wearing gloves, and that's the preparation, right? Like, that's where I'm going to be prep, prepped for it. So I don't mind gambling a little bit, but I do um, an, an educated gambling, I guess, if you will, if that's a thing. And I, and I just want to – what are my options to get out of this thing? Do I have more than one exit strategy? If yes, then I'll usually play ball. Yeah. So, John, I totally agree with you. Having multiple exit strategies is very, very smart and even more so in a changing market. I mean, it kind of gives me uh, thoughts about this associate of mine. So he, he was a flipper and then he started getting into development. You know, I told him, hey, the price is 1.1 all day long. He was overly optimistic. He goes, nah, Joe, I totally disagree with you. I say 1.6 all day long. Well, six months later, and then some, the property was still sitting on the market. And then guess what it eventually finally sold for, John? What? 1.1. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, good news for me that I was right. Bad news for him that there was lots and lots and lots of holding costs, paying investors. He got into trouble. Needless to say, so I would say with you, John, that was great advice. You know, some people follow the 1% rule, right? Where like, hey, you buy it for 100000 If it rents for 1000 1%, you're good. I would say go to 1.5 or 2% nowadays, okay? Because you really got to hedge your bet for what might happen just in case. And so, John, great, great advice. I love the things you're sharing open and honestly, is there any big other tips what people should do or look for to maybe, like I said, capitalize? Because, you know, it's not about being greedy. It's about being like willing to help somebody who might be in trouble out there that might need to get out and save face and save their pride. Any other piece of advice for people out there that might be listening to this that might even be in trouble? Absolutely. I'll touch on something that you just brought up. So I, I don't personally believe in rules in real estate. I believe in guidelines. And I know they're called rules, 70-30 rule, 1% rule. There's a ton of rules out there. But there are actually guidelines because every person, every scenario, every market is different. And so some people can get away with a 0.5% rule because maybe their business is a super is a super, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a uh, thriving, successful thriving, business. Thriving, stable business, not going anywhere. And they make $500,000 a month off that business. You don't need the cash flow from your units, right? Maybe you just want, you just need a place to buy down assets. Then you don't, you can do, you can play with a 0% rule if you want to, because you, you have the cash flow from other places to always back these other businesses or these houses up. But if you're not someone that's used to buying rentals and you don't know how to manage them correctly, you don't know how to do your numbers, the 1% rule can get you in trouble quickly. 
So yes, I'm always going to play more conservative, conservative until you know better. And even then, I'm, I, when it comes to my money, I err on the side of conservative. So I, I, I like to joke, and this is just a joke to anybody living, but it, most of my beliefs and how I'm going to live, I live in, I'm a California boy, all right? But how I treat my money, I live in West Virginia. So it's the conservative versus the more left side leaning, I guess. And that's just my, my opinion. But I think you should be conservative with your money at all times and just, and just always have a backup plan and a strategy for the what if goes wrong. Because you can, you can play at the seat of your pants all you want, but you get in a market like the one we're in right now. I don't care who you are. Nobody knows what's happening in three months. You don't know. Because if you knew for sure, you'd be a multi, multi, you could, you, the money would be endless because you could just leverage your money into an infinite bet, but you're not that sure of it. You can have uh, ideas and, and, and that's fine, but just like if it does go south, what's your backup plan and what's your strategy going to be moving forward if it doesn't work out? Those need to be on paper first before you make any moves. And, I, and that's just, like I said, don't believe in these things as rules and that you have to follow them. Believe in them as guidelines and then assess your own situation first. Love it, John. You're, you're sharing a lot of golden nuggets here. If you don't mind me touching up again on, on the ADHD, because I actually deal with some people like coach that, okay. you know, have the fidget spinners and they're high functioning. So is it something that you're still kind of addressing now or grew out of it? How, what's, what's your situation now? My legs going 100 miles an hour as we, we speak, and my feet could be on a treadmill. Um, I'm scratching at my arm. These are, I, I became very highly self-aware of it, you know, I, because I, I try to be careful. And it, fidgeting can, all, can usually come off as nervousness, and that's fine. Sometimes it is for me, but sometimes I just can't sit still. Even if I, I'm finding this – I used to be nervous on these calls, but I've, I've gained confidence. But I'm still fidgety, and so I've gotten self-aware of it in case I'm in a big meeting. I don't want to seem nervous because you can lose edge if people think you're nervous or you can lose negotiating power. So I, uh, sometimes I like to be open with people right away and let them know that's what it is. Um, but I still, I still battle with it. You know, I still have a struggle. I forget everything. If I don't write it down, I have to write it down. You know, this, this meeting with you today is on two reminders on my phone. Uh, I'm somebody who hardly ever misses anything. And that's only because of all the fail safes I have in place. So I have, a, I have a notebook with everything I have to do get done for that week. And then it's starred by importance or priority. And I make sure those things are done. And I have to look at that book three or four times. I've tried to move on from the book to my phone, but my brain's not used to that, that um, scenario. So I have to I stick with the notebook. And I will eventually move over. But until I feel safe, because it's just missing one thing and cost me thousands of dollars, if not more. You know, let, let's say perfect example. Let's say I missed this podcast with you and you can't reschedule me for several months and we just lose touch. But this podcast finds the ears of an investor that wants to work with me. This could eventually make me or lost me millions of dollars, right? That it's a big chance, but it could have happened, right? Because that's how networking works. But I, I constantly have to deal with staying focused. I lose thought and conversation a lot. I've, I've done it on this podcast and I'll, and I'll do it again but I've just became more confident around it. It is who I am and something I've had to battle for. But like you said before, strengths are weaknesses. I mean, weaknesses can become strengths. And that's, that's what this has done for me. It allows me to manage several things at once and, and to keep the energy for all of them. 
because I need that because I'm, I'm ADHD. I got the hyperactivity too. So I have to be careful around energy drinks. I didn't take <laughs> one. I didn't take one before the show or you would know it. I'm already probably talking fast with, with, with the energy drink. You got to slow me down on post edit. I love it, John. Really, really appreciate this because you know, you don't know who's listening and you make a very, very valid point. Like, these, these meetings, though they don't seem high priority, they might become a priority to somebody out there like, man, I've been looking in West Virginia for somebody like John to invest in. You're right on point. Is there any other systems or hacks you could share for your flip business or any other businesses that you love? Yeah. So like uh, one more thing on that real quick before I move on. So I, I went to a psychiatrist. I, I like this analogy. I went to a psychiatrist, I think I was like 14, 15 years old, maybe a little bit older. Shoot, I might've been 18. I'm 34 now and I swear the time is just cruising on by. I was in my teenage years and I, uh, I was telling the psychiatrist all my problems and he said, John, you're gonna be extremely successful is what he told me. And I haven't really started, I haven't done much of anything yet. And I, don't, I still don't think I'm extremely successful from where I came, absolutely. But he said, you're gonna be extremely successful. You know why? He said. I said, why? He said, you're going a million miles an hour. He said, nothing's going to catch you. Nothing's going to slow you down. He said, outside of yourself. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, you're like a Ferrari. He said, your brain is like a Ferrari and it's going a million miles an hour. The problem with it is you're constantly bouncing off the rev limiter. He said, just like any other engine or motor, it will break down if you do not learn how to slow it down at times. He said, it's nice that when you want to stomp on the gas, that's great because nobody's going to keep up with you. You're going to be the fastest car in the race. But you can only withstand that speed or sustain that speed for so long or, before you break down or the engine blows up. So you either need a lot more oil help, right, is what I would call that, uh, or in systems, or you need to learn how to take your, hand, your foot off the gas from time, time to time. And I am learning now in my 30s how to do both ask for help and realize that although I don't believe anybody can do something as good as I'll do it or do it on time or timely, like I will, I need the help. Uh, and the other one is that if you don't, if I can't find the help for that thing, sometimes I need to take a break. And that's where my wife is my yin and yang and, and, and she's good at telling me to do that. So find a counterpart that lets you know, Hey, you're, you're at that right now. You need to take a break. You're bouncing off the rev limiter. And that's will be your system. So be organized. Have the, the things you were asking about. Have a planner. Have reminders on your phone and on your computer, whatever works for you. Uh, Calendly. I don't care what it is. Uh, then the next is, you know, your alarm clock. You know, make sure you try to go to sleep at a certain time and try to keep your try to keep a system so that you operate the same way. Keep your keys in a certain place. If you're ADHD like me, you got to have like a, uh, what's the word for it? When you constantly do the same thing all the time, uh, repetition, it's a, Routine? Uh, a routine. You have got to be in a routine. And, and that's what helps me a lot. I go to the gym the same time every day. If I had to go a different time, it throws my whole day off and I'll forget things. So routine's huge. Uh, apps like Basecamp. So I think you asked me in the pre-show notes, think of an app. And so maybe I'll knock that out here. But Basecamp has been great for us in our business. It's basically a team organizer. There's a bunch of them out there. We just enjoy Basecamp. And you can assign people tasks, and when they check them off, it notifies you. And they don't check them off, it stays there. So you can give them a push notification. Hey, why isn't this done? And I love that. So Basecamp would be a great tip for an app. Wow. Love it, John. This has been 
extremely incredible. You shared a lot of golden nuggets. You've got a lot of wisdom behind you at such a young age. And I really, really appreciate your transparency. Uh, anything else you're promoting, sharing, best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, so I would love if you guys go follow me on Instagram at The Frugal Investor. Uh, that's mostly just real estate investing and then, and then tips from time to time on finances. I just love teaching uh, about finances. That, that's one of my businesses is John Scholler Consulting. Uh, I teach businesses and, and individuals about finances and how to manage that. Uh, and then you can find me on my YouTube, which is uh, just my name, John Scholler. And I do a couple of different things on there. It's a lot of real estate and before and after walkthroughs of our houses, of our flip houses. But lately I've been doing uh, talks with my wife, just we call it money talk. And, I, and I, a couple of days before uh, I go on the YouTube, I ask my Instagram followers money questions and my wife asked them to me on the uh, YouTube and I answer them on YouTube and just helping people with everyday questions. Cause most of the time you guys out there have the same questions over and over. What is a Roth IRA? How to buy your first home? How do you start saving? And I answer this for everybody. That is so cool, John. Well, thanks so much for being on the show again. I really, really appreciate all the words of wisdom being super transparent and being on the show, and we wish you well. Absolutely, Jay. I really appreciate you having me on today. Wow. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I hope you learned as much as I did or more. So, guys, look at the comment thread. If you've seen something or heard something, want to learn more about something, please put it on the comment link below. If you're not a subscriber yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Go ahead and smash that bell to hear the latest and greatest on the show. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Instagram. I'm putting this channel together to hopefully add incredible value to you. And if you want to learn more about investing, you're new to investing, I highly recommend this book, Flex with a Plex. Also, this book, if you're having some challenges, as you can see, everybody on the show had some kind of adversity, including yours truly. So I shared a lot of that on Make It a Comeback, giving you some incredible tips to make a comeback. So get either one, Flex with a Plex, or Make It a Comeback. If you want to get more tips, go ahead and go to JoeMendoza.com. Again, subscribe, share, like. Make a comment below. I really, really appreciate you. Want to add incredible value and wish you all the best in your success in real estate and in life. Take care. Our company is not responsible for the success or failure of your business decisions relating to any information presented by our company or our company programs, products, and or services.